Hello, my friends. Brett Patterson coming at you from the financial capital of the West Salt Lake City, Utah. Joined on this special day. I don't know why it's special, but I'm going to say it is. Because we're joined by the big fella. Brett, what's going on? Brian Hunsaker. Good things, Brian. And the tall fella. Down from the land north. Spencer. Every day is special with you, Brett. (laughs) Every day. I'm going to scoot this way a little more, Brian. That was his sultry voice. That was. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, boy. You're looking very hefty today. Let's jump into today's <laughs> podcast topic. Today, we are going to review a couple things. Number one, always enjoy this time of year, Brian, especially because you're what we call your man crush, which is actually all of ours. Warren Buffett comes out with his annual letter. So we want to discuss a little bit about what we learned reading that letter or what was emphasized again to us, what we relearned by reading that letter. But part of that letter was geared towards a certain investment. And we're reading between the lines because Warren Buffett really didn't come out and say that it's about SPACs, but it sure did seem like it was. So we want to talk about SPACs and the SPAC investment world. And Spencer, I'm going to lean on you. Yeah, you can lean on me, Bretter. What's a SPAC? Special Purpose Acquisition Company is what that stands for. And there's a big trend right now. It's been going on for a little while that, uh, that SPACs are kind of the craze. And the definition of what it is really is it, one of its other names is a blank check company. But it's a pile of money that goes public. And, uh, and what that means is uh, a group of managers come together and define, put some criteria in place that they are going to go buy a company. Um, but they don't actually have to say what that company is. Sometimes they go in knowing what company it is. Sometimes they go in knowing, hey, we want to buy a company in this industry. Sometimes it's even more broad than that. But they go and do that, and then what they do is they file an IPO, and, and people buy shares of that SPAC, even though there is no company that exists yet. And then once they've raised that money, then they take that money to go actually acquire a private company. And, and then at that point, it becomes a publicly traded company within the SPAC. So it's a really unique thing. They do it. Um, if, if a company itself files an IPO, there's a very regulatory process behind it and a very expensive process in order to be able to do that. And this kind of bypasses a lot of those regulations and a lot of those costs. And so it's a very simple version, but it's, it's, it's kind of crazy to think you're just giving people money and you don't even know what business they're actually going to buy with it. And then they go find a business and, and buy it. And that's what you own. This SPAC space has been insane. As far as the money, the money that it, it's attracting, as well as the returns that some of these SPACs have gotten. So SPACs will... And I'm going to kind of restate and tell me if I'm off base here. They'll go, they'll create a SPAC with no intent or or not knowing what the public company is going to be that they're going to spin up into that SPAC. Or they may know what that public company is going to be. They may have that target. They may let investors know what that target is. And they may raise money for the purpose of that target. Yeah, I just want to, usually it's a private company that will be gone public. Through the SPAC. Through the SPAC, yep. So I've been watching a a SPAC in particular, Churchill Capital. 
which is a great example of this, came out last year in the fall of last year, was up about 450% with the rumor that they're going to buy an electric vehicle car maker, Lucid, which doesn't make anything really right now. But that was the premise. They were, they, they were up a 450%. After they finally cut the deal to spin it public within the SPAC, it immediately fell and is now up 149%. So, it's, so it fell 300%. Whoa. <laughs> now, 149% gain still pretty good. But that's an example of a SPAC that rolled it the, uh, up an EV company. And I think these EV companies within the SPAC space have been on fire. It's a uh, popular industry, uh, popular concept right now. And uh, what comes to mind for me is in the, in the long run um, or in the short run, uh, stocks can be a popularity contest. You know, what's popular, what's um, in favor can do really well. But in the long run, it's, it's a value will be weighed and uh, the value of those businesses will be reflected in the stock price at some point. And so right now we're seeing a lot of excitement and uh, potential, you know, this, this could be a, you know, it will, it will be a strong growth industry. But um, at some point, I think reality, reality will set in and, and investors will be looking at this company and, and be critical, have a critical eye to revenue and profitability and things like that. Although right now they're not looking at that at all. They're just looking they're at They're not paying attention to it at all. And it reminds me to going back 20 years ago to the late 90s where there's a lot of speculation, a lot of excitement about the Internet and dot-com stocks. That part of what we're seeing now reminds me of that. So let me say one thing. The really interesting part about the SPAC is there is no revenue. <laughs> yeah. I mean, initially, there's no business even that you're evaluating. It's just let's put money, and these guys are going to go buy something, and it's going to go crazy, and we're going to make a lot of money. But there's nothing to actually annualize. I, there's nothing to actually analyze until they've actually gone and bought a company. But a, but a lot of these businesses they're buying are pretty light on revenues. Oh, yeah. Even the ones they're buying. Absolutely. It's just – it's a lot of it's just a concept that, hey – we're going to go in the electrical vehicle space. We're going to make batteries. We're going to make vehicles. We're going to do you know some sort of combination or some sort of technology in that area. And there's just a lot of excitement saying, hey, the potential is there. And at some point, um, investors are going to be look, have a critical eye. It, it's not right now. Yeah. So you recently sat in on somebody pitching us back. Names and all that we're going to leave out. But what was your experience listening to that call? What did they talk about on that call? Yeah, it's it's looking at at returns and the potential of what the market is paying for these when they do IPO. Um, people are are paying very expensive prices to get involved in those, and so um, if you can be involved in the companies that SPACs are going after, because. There is, there is kind of a timeline and an incentive. We've raised this money. We've gone public. We've got to go buy something. And so um, private equity turned, turned public in this sense. There's very much, a, if you can kind of package your company right now as a, at a private level as a potential SPAC acquisition, 
your valuation is going to go absolutely nuts for those individuals. Uh, they're going to make a whole lot of money at IPO and accelerate. I mean, these companies eventually want to go down that route, but they're probably three, five, ten years away, and probably only five percent of them will actually make it. And now SPACs are giving them another opportunity to accelerate it and get there when maybe they would never have even gotten there in the first place. How much did they care about the company on the call you were on? Oh, they cared much more about the space um, and the uh, the interest in the space. The company itself wasn't wasn't as big of a priority. There's a, there's a lot of money. That's insane to me. I was on that call. Yeah. There's a lot of money chasing the EV space, and uh, a lot of capital behind it. And so timing's important, yeah. right? Would you say that? Yeah, for sure. Green space, uh, the, the green space as well, that's another area. It's these hot areas that that have a lot of interest right now, and that's where SPACs are operating a lot of, not not only just those areas, but one of those areas. So in Warren Buffett's letter, this is what he says. He says, investing illusions can continue for a surprisingly long time. Wall Street loves the fees that deal-making generates, and the press loves the stories that colorful promoters provide. At a point, also, the soaring price of the promoted stock can itself become proof that the illusion is a reality. But, he continues, eventually, the party ends. Business emperors are found to have no clothes. Financial history is replete with the names of famous conglomerators who were initially lionized as business geniuses by journalists, analysts, and investment brokers. This is my favorite part. But whose creations ended up as business junkyards. Mm -hmm. This reminds me of the SPAC space right now. Yeah, and there'll be a lot of... Uh... Graves or the EV space headstones in that graveyard. A lot of them. I mean, probably ninety-five percent of them won't make it. Yeah, but there will there will be a few. I mean, it takes me back again, back to the twenty-some years ago to the dot-com era, and there's a lot of companies that didn't make it through the dot-com area, but there was a few. Amazon, think of yeah. it. You know, it's what if really what one. if you won't? Yeah, there was a few that made it. Yeah, yeah. but there's a lot of them that did not, and. Uh, who knew back then that Amazon would, would end up being what it is today and that, you know, some other company didn't make it. You know, you just but, didn't know. But, it, it, like, going back to the dot-com, you can't blame those companies when there are irrational investors just looking for anything, throwing money at you, whether it's pets.com or it's a SPAC. The market is there now. People are willing to throw money at it, and so they're – there's a market, and so there's there's supply because of the because of the demand. But eventually, that will change. Like you said, substance will eventually matter, and those things uh, will dry up. There's no, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, no, this, yeah, yeah, th this is perfectly fine, and this is what capitalism is. I mean, sometimes it gets out of control, but that's that's what we've agreed to. Yeah, <laughs> you it's, know, it's recognizing the business that you're buying, which people are ignoring right now. I'm, I'm going to use a different term than Warren Buffett's a lot better at words than I am. I'm going to describe this in four words. Chocolate-covered hand grenade. <laughs> <laughs> Looks really nice, yeah. but wait until that thing blows. <laughs>
Yeah, it's it's attractive and 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 you know, it's like a lot of the things we've talked about whether it's the GameStop frenzy which is still going on, going up and down and all over the place. A lot of these are are, are train wrecks that you know. You just don't you know, there are people that like to play the game of we're not going to be the last ones on the train. We can get on the train, we can make some money. We're not going to be the last ones. Unfortunately, there are people on the train when it crashes and and we just we don't want to play that game. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. Is we just we've made a decision here at Iron Gate. We we just don't play that game. That's just not the game we play. And some people might be look at us critically for that or, you know, but that's that's fine. That's just not what we do and and uh, we're not going to criticize if other people want to do that and play that game. That's fine. Yeah. So, in Warren Buffett's letter, that's kind of the first thing that stuck out stuck out to us was his his comments in in that uh, I I don't I don't know if he was really necessarily talking about SPACs in particular, I tend to believe he was. Well, but you could spread that analysis over a, a lot of different areas of the market right now. He was particularly talking about conglomerates, but the same principles apply to, yeah. to SPACs. So tell me this. The other thing that kind of stood out to us, Brian, I'm going to lean on you for a minute, was his conversation with shareholders in this letter around retained earnings. Mm-hmm. Tell us about retained earnings. What, what, what are they? And, for example, why hasn't Warren Buffett paid a dividend, which everybody's begging him to? Right. So talk about maybe those two, and then we can. Right. Yeah, it's a good question. So um, retained earnings. So when a company generates revenue and uh, they take out all their expenses, and basically what you have left is earnings or profit is, or is the profits of the company. And uh, a company typically um, – they, they have choices on how they use that, those profits. And, uh, for, for example, they, they could use that money to pay a dividend. They could use that money to buy back stock. They can use that money to pay down debt. Um, or, and this is probably the most common use of those, those earnings, is to retain those earnings and reinvest back into the business. And that's called retained earnings. And that's where... The bulk of the value, the future value of a business is derived from is from retained earnings. And so he's talking about in his uh, news, in his annual report, his letter to shareholders, that uh, the value, the, the future value of his portfolio of companies is going to, is will be derived mostly from retained earnings. And I think that's a concept that people really don't think about is the, the money that is reinvested back into those businesses will will actually create value in the future and he's and he he was talking particularly about how much future value will be derived from those retained earnings and when you think about a business that is getting returns on capital return on investments of 10 and 15 and 20 percent which many of those businesses are and so they're they're getting 20 percent on retained earnings that that is a way to build value, build build wealth. So Amazon's an example of exactly. that. Exactly. Amazon does not pay any dividend. They basically retain all of their earnings and reinvest back in the business. The beautiful and the reason why Amazon is doing it so well is they have all kinds of opportunities and uses for those retained earnings. So they don't they it's not it would not be prudent for them to be paying a dividend right now because they have good use of those retained earnings. They have op- ample opportunities to reinvest. Where a, a company, let's, I'm just going to use Coca-Cola, for example. Coca-Cola pays a dividend, and there's a reason why they pay a dividend. 
because they don't have a lot of use. They don't. They can't use all of their profit and reinvest it in a good way. And so they pay part of their their uh, retained earnings or part of their earnings profitability back to the shareholder in dividends. And they also they may use buyback stock. That's one use. They pay, may pay down debt, but they pay a dividend. So one of the four criteria in us buying a great business is to find good management. And part of that good management that we look for are those management teams that can allocate capital appropriately. Right. And that allocation of capital could be like Amazon, where they retain their earnings, invest it back in the business for future growth. Warren Buffett in the past is, I mean, has done that, right? Used those retained earnings to invest back in the business or to buy more businesses to increase shareholder value. That's the kind of the beautiful thing about Berkshire Hathaway that I think a lot of people miss. And people are critical of Buffett because he's got a lot of capital. He's got over $100 billion in in liquid assets, you know, cash and things like that. And they're saying, why doesn't he pay a dividend? Well, he historically, he's been very good. And, and, and every dollar that he's retained, he's created more than a dollar in return for shareholders. And that's kind of the benchmark is if you're retaining a dollar in earnings, you sure you better be sure that you're going to create at least a dollar for those shareholders for every dollar retained. And if they can, then that's, that is the benchmark. And if you can't, re- if you can't earn more than, than what you're retaining on those assets, then you should pay a dividend. That's, that's kind of the, the, the calculation there. And historically he's, he's done extremely well. It's been very easy. Now it's harder today because Berkshire is so big and they generate so much excess cash flow that the cash is building up. And then Buffett is a very, um, uh, he has a high bar for investment. I mean, he, he need, he wants to, he's, he's uh, very disciplined in his investment process. And some would say maybe, uh, you know, he needs to loosen up those, <laughs> those, uh, loosen up the reins a little bit yeah. but, and spend some of that money. But, um, you know, he's historically, he's, uh, he's done a good job at it. He's a, an incredible, one of the best ever to live at allocating capital. Mm-hmm. This past year, Berkshire Hathaway was pretty, I mean, it was clobbered like everybody else. And so part of what he did was he bought $25 billion worth of stock back. Yeah. Right? So it's not like he's never doing things like buybacks or I don't know. He's 91 right now. Is that right? Mm-hmm. He may never pay a dividend, but they may at some point. We trust them in how they're a- able to allocate capital. The, and the other thing about Berkshire that's unique is that he, because he's so good at allocating capital, he he gets all this cash flow that comes in, and, and he has lots of opportunities to reinvest in all these different businesses. I mean, he used retained earnings or dividends from his other companies and bought Apple, and that's been a great investment for him. And here's the other thing about his stock buybacks that uh, all of us are own five percent more of Berkshire, even though even though we may not have bought any new shares last year, because he bought back stock. He bought five percent of the stock back, so we now own five percent more of Berkshire than we did last year, even though we haven't bought any more stock. And so that so that's actually a very so good that thing. one share now has greater earnings power. Yep, and is worth more money. Exactly. Because of that. Yep. So, all right. So let's let's move to allocating capital and retained earnings to how we manage money at Iron Gate Global. I would say 
advisors, if they're doing it correctly, should also be really good capital allocators in a very similar fashion to what Warren Buffett does. Explain how that can happen with us managing a portfolio in the same way that Warren Buffett does, or in a similar way. We're thinking along the same lines, uh, although we don't, you know, we don't have a, a conglomerate, a company that we're looking at a lot of different businesses, really the whole the whole market out there looking for opportunities The really the best place to to uh, allocate your money where it's going to make make you return on your investment. And so we're allocating capital based on where we think the best potential for that money to, to grow. So I've got a, I've had a lot of clients in the past say, well, are you going to set up a drip on that dividend? Right. Mm-hmm. And I hate drips. Yeah. Because number one, you end up with fractional shares, which I hate just because it's a pain for me. And number two is we retain those dividends to then allocate towards other businesses that we believe we should invest in. Well, and I would say that if we felt like it was good with dividends or whatever to rebuy shares of that company because it's at a good price, great, we would. But we don't want to just be buying it at any price whatsoever. And, you know, buybacks, Warren's been critical of, of corporations in the back because history shows a lot of managers of companies do buybacks when their stock price is really high instead of the alternative. But that's, that's the key. Find it, I know Brian said this multiple times. Money will find where it's treated best. And, and as capital allocators, that's what we're trying to do, figure out where it's going to get treated best, meaning where is it going to get the best return. And if it's in from a dividend that comes from that company and it's to go back into that company, great. At the right time. At the right time, yeah. exactly, great. But if it's to go, if, if at that time there's another opportunity that's going to treat it better, put it there. Yeah, I mean, if the stock's trading at a high price above intrinsic value, Dividend reinvestment is probably not the best use of that capital where it's treated best. Exactly. But if the company is undervalued and tur- turning on dividend reinvestment at that time when the stock is low, that's okay. We're, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yep. Yeah. So as we round out today, we talked about SPACs, chocolate-covered hand grenades. Yep. And the importance of retained earnings and looking for managers. And Warren Buffett's probably the best at this. Uh, Jeff Bezos is pretty good too. Jeff Bezos is really good. He's amazing. Yeah. Uh, At allocating capital. Mm -hmm. Anything else before we round out today, my friends? It's been a special day. It has. Very special. (laughs) Wow. It's great to have you down. Good to be good to be from Logan. All our listeners. Head back now. uh, Yeah, I was just going to say, all our listeners, when he says that, it was great to have you down today. That means get back up to the Logan (laughs) office. All right, my friends, thanks for joining us today, big fella, tall fella. Until next week, bye-bye. This is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized financial advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's financial situation is unique, and the topics discussed on this broadcast should not be relied upon and or considered as personalized advice. Specific financial securities discussed are not intended to address any listener's particular financial situation and should not be considered recommendations. This is for educational purposes only. For more information, please contact Iron Gate Global Advisors at info at or by calling 888-591-0334.